0: Hey guys, Lauren here and here's some food for thought. What if a healer becomes ill with a terminal illness and now her touch kills instead of heals? What if a soldier captured and tortured by his enemies has the chance for revenge, but the price of it is giving up his complete sense of self? And what if you lost your memory, fell in love with someone you despised, and then got your memory back? These are the core questions around novels *Rosemarked* and *Umbertouched* by New York Times bestselling author Livia Blackburn. Livia sat down with me to go deep into creating characters with trauma and what it's like to take them through a series to its finish. We talk about these things and much more on today's episode of the Ink Feather podcast. But before we jump into the interview, I want to share with my listeners my new Ink Feather Books Etsy store. I'm really excited about it. I wanted to get into book merch that was unique, and I'm making one of a kind book themed glass suncatchers. They have favorite book quotes in them and book themes on them, and they're really fun. You can check them out at the Ink Feather Books Etsy store. Now, on to our interview with Livia Blackburn. Hi, Livia. Hello. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to have you. I love these two books, and I'm really excited to talk about them with you. Umber Touched is out today, the day that we're putting the podcast out, and Rosemarked is the book that comes before it. And I'm really excited to kind of dig into these really interesting characters today. For those who are listening who maybe don't know the series or need like a like a reminder, maybe from book one, can you do a little summary in your words of the story for us?
1: Okay, uh, so I uh, so I tried for the longest time to come up with a summary, and um, I had a really hard time doing it, and I finally ended up, so now I tell people about it in terms of questions. So there's four questions. Uh, the first one is, um, what if a healer uh, becomes ill, gets a terminal illness, also um, instead of, you know, she's not only going to die, but her touch instead of healing people actually kills people. That's question number one. Question number two is, uh, what if you're a soldier who's been captured and tortured and now you finally get a uh, chance for revenge? Except to do so, you have to give up your sense of your very self. Uh, Number three is, um, what if, you know, you lose your memory and when you lose your memory, you fall in love with someone you used to despise? And question number four is, um, what if then you get your memory back? so that is kind of Rosemarked in a nutshell it's about a healer and a soldier who come together and uh, band together um, unwillingly to save their people from an overbearing empire and um, the reason it's called Rosemarked is because the world is marked by a uh, a plague called the Rose Plague and when you get the Rose Plague you get these um, this rash on your body uh, and th- those are called Rosemarked and if you have them then uh, they refer to you as Rosemarked
0: yeah and uh, I want to just continue with that, just for those listening. Uh, so our two main characters both have had the plague, but the healer they both and they both have come out of it. And, and the stats from this are three out of four people who get it actually die. So of those who don't die, there are two types. There's one that is rose marked, which is what our healer is, which means you're still contagious even though you're functioning, and eventually it will kill you again. Like it'll come back with vengeance and kill you, or you're like. Our soldier guy, who is what they call umber Touched, hence the name of the second book, where they have the the marks still, but they've turned into like a sepia brown, and they're not contagious anymore. So it's it's kind of like these different degrees of intensity with this illness too, and it, it you know it defines so much of the of the world and how everyone kind of interacts with each other. And I, I guess this is a really good lead into the the main question I kind of want to dig into is there is so much mental trauma in these books with these characters they they're it's so good and like you said the one character knows her time is limited and the other character has such trauma and like ptsd and in book two it kind of appears in a different way and in book one uh the healer helps block his ptsd it's kind of the losing your memory part you mentioned earlier i i just i want to go into your process of writing these two main characters with serious mental and emotional things they have right. to deal with like it's a big topic
1: it is a big topic now okay let's see how, how do we break this down then okay so let's talk about ziva and ziva you know she we start the book she's a young ambitious healer um, you know she, you know in today's world she'd be at the top of her class at med school or something and you know she's about to start her life and all of a sudden she becomes ill pretty much treating her first patients as a healer she comes down with a terminal illness, and now she's rosemarked, and she's basically, you know, she has a few years to live. She can no longer practice her her craft. Like, her entire, you know, life's is, goal is gone in an instant. Gosh. Yeah, and so I had several inspirations for that. One was, at one point, I watched a play about the Hawaiian leper colony of Molokai, and that got me thinking a lot about not just... Know, the biological aspects of terminal illness, but also the social aspects where, you know, it's, it's yeah. bad enough that you're going to die, but now you're going to, uh, the isolation. And so I really wanted to explore that. On a more personal level, as I was writing this, I was going through my own kind of health issues, health struggles. I uh, I was trying to start a family with my husband, and, you know, it's one of those things you, you expect it to um, happen right away, but, you know, one year turned into two, turned into three, and um and so at that time I was really struggling with the idea of you know health and like my own anger and all my emotions dealing with that also as a person of faith kind of going into questions of you know health and faith and you know yeah. why good and bad things happen uh and so I drew on a lot of that in uh, Ziva's struggles you know when she's kind of struggling with you know what does it mean that you know the goddess gave me this much talent but you know I can't use any of it
0: yeah and then she also like you said both of them and uh, this is how Ziva has to deal with it is challenging her faith like you said the your not only your identity that you've made for yourself but you know part of her law as a healer is that you only use it for good but then as the series continues she's got opportunities to further the cause that she wants you know that that will hopefully in in theory help those she loves and cares about but it would require her to essentially break that oath and that essence of who she is as a healer and and that moral dilemma she has is pretty intense yeah Yeah,
1: i i I really enjoy writing these moral dilemmas
0: you know god has one and you really killed them both i was like oh my god these poor characters Uh, yeah um
1: yeah, so, so that was a, a lot of fun. so, you know, on the one hand, Ziva has those vows, the healer's vows that she really believes in, and that, you know, she should use her gifts for harm and not for ill. Um, at the same time, though, you know, her people are about to be conquered, about to be killed off. And, you know, she's also wondering, you know, why should I do my goddess's will? Why should I... Follow the rules that my goddess gave me when she's apparently abandoned me to this illness. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff to play with there.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's it's interesting because, and I want to talk about Deneas here in a second and about how you kind of have them each handling it in different ways and and the way their characters develop with their own stresses. Because frankly, I think she handles it better than he does. He's kind of loses his mind, but she's she um, but at the same time, she also kind of. Doesn't deal. She kind of—I've noticed she, or she kind of felt like she was like, "Well, it's uh, it's going to happen. I, I need to do this thing, anyways. I need to help my people, or I'm going to do these different whatever I can to help." And and it's like in denial that she's going to get sick again, and that she can't, you know,
1: just right. a lot of uh, a lot of repression there. And yeah, there's one scene without giving away too much in Rosemark, where Ziva just finally loses it. You know, she spends a whole book kind of suppressing, denying. And then she just blows up at This one um, mm-hmm. scene. And that was so much fun to write.
0: Yeah. And it really, it's, it was kind of out of the blue, but not because like you said, it was, it's been boiling in there deep. Now he, on the other hand, so he's got like, he wears his issues on his sleeve and he can't help <laughs> he, it. Like he basically, for those listening, his, his drama, he was a soldier that was captured and tortured and then got the rose mark, you know, got the rose plague. And so they threw him out thinking he was dying, threw him in a pile of dead bodies, but he recovered from it. And so that's how he's now Umber touched. So now he's free because they thought he was dead and he got rescued and is now out in the world. But he has this, like these flashbacks of literally like staring at a person and then he's flashed back into the dungeon and it, and it immobilizes him and he gets in trouble and it's life threatening in some situations for him. I mean, Oh my gosh, this the 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 issues he has and he's got like serious prejudices. He was really I I I really loved both of them. I I he, I think they balanced each other really well, but I was really feeling his issues. I thought he really he had a lot of crap to deal with too. <laughs> yeah. Thank,
1: thank you. Um yeah, so so um the Nias, so I I think it's not too much of a spoiler to say that you know as part of his quest, he's um you know there's a Nias with all these issues and then he has so much trauma, so many flashbacks, that in order for him to go undercover into the Empire's army, he has to take a potion to remove his memories. Um, and so in that case, from there, the narrative kind of splits into two versions of Deneas, right? There's a there's an old, bitter, really angry Dinius, um, with an axe to grind, and then there is kind of Deneas the blank slate, and um, almost like the person he would have been if he hadn't mm-hmm. gone through all this so. stuff. And that, that was a lot of fun to play with as well. And it's always interesting to hear people's reactions to the two Diniases. Um So I use a lot of beta readers. And, you know, I had a lot of people, um, I got a lot of like, you know, I really didn't like Denius until <laughs> he took the potion. That kind of erased his entire personality. <laughs> which, which is, you know, a lot of fun to look at. Yeah, which is you know raises other questions too. because So I kind of had to be kind of mindful of what I was writing here because I, I definitely didn't want to send a message of, you know, if you have trauma, then the only way to, you know, be your best self is to erase your trauma, which is, you know, not what I want to be saying here, you know. Yeah. Especially uh, So, Rosemark and Umbertouch, I think, deals with this a lot more, and where you're kind of, Deneas is struggling with, you know, who he is. Um, now, he no longer has, in Umbertouch. he no longer has the shortcut of, oh, I can just take this potion and just forget my problems. He actually has to deal with it. Yeah. And how do I navigate my relationships this way? Uh, how do I, uh, navigate my relationship with Leva and Ziva as well you know how you know she in some ways it's easier to miss the old nice Dinius without any problems but you know he wasn't a real person I was gonna and say
0: how- that's not reality yeah right yes
1: um you know and and you know caring for and loving someone you know who has these um these problems to deal with you know how how does that work between the two of them
0: well, and it, it's interesting because they have a really slow burn romance, which I del- was delightful. They kind of, you know, it's almost like they're both kind of fighting it because they have their issues. And it's almost like they're in a love triangle of themselves. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, he's um, he's love
1: triangle
0: ever. Yeah. It's like he's she's. She, you know she interacts with the potioned version of him who is just mm-hmm. so much more innocent and not like you said not burdened down and this you know idealistic version of him but that's not reality and yeah in in book in book two in umpertouch they have to kind of figure out how to navigate are they friends it, you know now that he's no longer that person i don't know it was just it was interesting to see too how their traumas Dictate the choices that they make and and how it kind of moved the story along. I mean, when you were writing the outline for the story, how much of that was kind of on the fly as you were going, or did you have the whole thing outlined and they just kind of you worked it around them? Because there's times where I feel like they they could have chosen different paths, but it, it fit in with kind of what their traumas were. Uh. Well, so the idea of Denise's trauma was there from the very beginning because um, I.
1: That was the reason he needed the potion in the first place. Yeah. It was kind of the spark and the idea that I started with. The rest kind of just grew organically. Um, you know, once I got into their situation, um, getting in their heads and you know, just trying to think what they've been through and how
0: they would move on ahead and just kind of went from there. I just thought it added such an interesting vibe to the story about how they make decisions and how they. You know, just so how, I guess because because they have so much issues, both of them have so many issues. It it had me thinking internally, like you were saying. You know, you were inspired by your own issues and it in like this terminal illness and 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 trauma and stress and and how would we react in different situations if we had these other things? That really, I it was just neat to kind of see how they chose what they chose. Kind of along the same lines of that too. So. How when you were, we were talking about the outlining? There a lot of especially book two. I mean, a, a good part of book two, one too, but there's, there's a lot of journeying back and forth, a lot of like little questy things kind of, and how did you balance the internal and the external? Because questy stuff can be, I'm sure monotonous as a writer, and it could be monotonous as a reader, but it wasn't at all. It was, uh, I think it's because we were entrenched in their, in their stories. How did you balance the kind of internal struggles with the overarching storyline? How was that for you as a writer? <laughs> That's a
1: good question. And so the, the thing about book two, is, uh, so this is the first time I'm talking about it at length where well, the thing is, so I don't have a very good memory of the writing of book two, because going back to, um, you know, my my own health issues, well, what I haven't added was that I actually ended up having a baby right after finishing Rosemarked, and so the first draft for Umvertubged was due when my daughter was five months old, and I, I kind of wrote this entire thing in a fog, so I, I kind of dredge up my what memories I, I have <laughs> of, of writing of the book there. Yeah, so when I was writing Amber Touch, part of it, you know, you ca- you kind of realize, oops, I've written myself into a corner because they had journeyed to Ampara, and then at the end of Rosemark, they they're coming back to their home country. So then I'm like, so Ziva and Deneas are back in the home country, but wait, there's all these characters I still really like about like a month's journey away. <laughs> How am I gonna get them to interact? So. Yeah, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of balancing. There. So, like, I had to figure out, you know, who could be where, when, and uh, can I have Eva go back? Um, you know, how much of the journey do I put in? A lot of tweaking out maps um, to make sure trips are not too long.
0: Yeah, and it worked. And, I mean, you, you – there wasn't a lot of day five of trudging through the desert. It was a lot of – sometimes they were just there and, you know, the journey moved quickly. But, you know, I just – looking back when I was thinking about this series after I, these two books after I finished them, uh, I finished the second book earlier today and just the overarching storyline of them just kind of running around, trying to help their people basically, <laughs> you know, and, and how they were able to kind of, I guess, how you balance the story. It was done really well. And I was just interested how you, uh, how you kind of worked through that, I guess, as a writer. Yeah. Traveling a good chance to have, you
1: know, conversations, I mean, from a romantic tension point of view, it's one way to keep them apart.
0: Yeah. I hope you're enjoying my interview with Livia Blackburn. And I just wanted to remind listeners again about the Ink Feather Books Etsy store. It's got book-themed some catchers, which would be great for holiday presents. Um, and I've only got a few in stock at the moment, but I'll be making some more in the next few weeks. So if you're a book lover or if you know a book lover and you need to get them a great present, you can check them out on Etsy. The store is Inkfeather Books. Now back to our interview. One of the ways you had them communicating throughout both books was through Dinius has these three crows that he's trained and ziva also has like a trained snake that's with them first part of the story a good chunk of the story actually and i love that you have these really cool animals as side characters that have quite a significant part in the story i, I what what made you want to play with that
1: uh yeah uh so the um uh, the crows <laughs> it's really funny so like they were they were an example of a plot device that kinda of took on a life of their own. So, you know, I didn't even go into the story thinking I wanted crows. I I just thought, you know, like, they there's all these people in different countries, they need to be able to talk to each other somehow. Uh, so messenger pigeons. No, no, let's do crows. And then um so once I wrote the crows up so I just loved them. Yeah. And they're just so much fun. You know, they have they each have their own personalities. And I think the uh, now they're Kind of a lot of my readers mentioned them as favorite characters. And it's funny how they just I just needed them at, at the beginning.
0: Oh, yeah. Like they're they're a really essential part of the story. And like, yeah, they're, when they're when their lives are threatened, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, there's like heartstrings yeah. with animals, you know, and I i laughed. I'm a bird person big time. And I, she names one of the birds uh, preener. 'Cause he just like mm-hmm. thinks he's so beautiful that he like is always like, Look at my feathers and I'm so pretty. And it made I crack up every time I was reading his name. <laughs> it was just great. Uh one of my um my critique
1: partners, I think maybe two or three chapters into Rosemar, she she wrote me a comment that was like, You're gonna kill Scrawny, aren't you? You're gonna kill Scrawny. I know you will. Don't do it, don't do it.
0: I like scrawny. I like them all. Like you said, they're all and they all even though they're three separate entities, they kind of are the side character of Crow helpers you know like they kind of they watch and they retrieve and they there's been there were a few incidences in the story where they the humans wouldn't have been able to do what they did if the crows weren't able to help them which was really a cool thing to see so i wanted to actually ask you about this i thought this was really interesting um I've seen these stories kind of described as fantasy and they have a fantasy vibe but I guess I've always defined fantasy as something that has magic in it but oh. there is no magic act by that definition in this book mm-hmm. but it still feels and like reads like a fantasy. What was that how was that for you as as a writer were you trying to go for that fantasy vibe do you consider it a fantasy how do you approach that I guess?
1: That's a good question because I think for me the line has kind of blurred as well. So well, my my straight answer is that, you know, I do consider Ziva's potions to be a a magic system. You know, they're, they're kind of... Um, yeah. They're scientific-seeming, uh, but, you know, there are elements of it that are not real. Uh, so that's why I consider it a fancy. But at the same time, I can totally see why there's a gray line there because, you know, even when I was writing it, I think... So I have a background in neuroscience, um, cognitive neuroscience. And so I was trying to figure out the specifics of Ziva's memory potion. And I, I think I spent, like, an entire afternoon trying to figure out how that might plausibly happen I, and I called up one of my old classmates <laughs> from MIT as well and we talked about it and you know I spent you know half a day just trying to figure out how neurotransmitters might work or something and then I thought Olivia you're writing a fantasy why are you doing this? Yeah. Uh, so you know I definitely got caught up in the this is real thing too
0: well and and like i said it's it's not the overt like dragons or wizards you know but there's still this this vi- and it's got that kind of you know political intrigue that a lot of fantasy has and and but it's it's grounded in reality which i really liked and i i don't read a lot and i i like that that had a it was more subtle and I guess I really liked that it was, it almost seemed practical because that's one of the things I wish in life magic was real. Don't we all in some fashion, you know? And so like to have a snake that is your buddy on your arm, that also happens to be super poisonous and can then make someone lose their memory. Like that's really cool. Yeah. And then the crows are are pretty smart too. Yeah. Yeah. How they can even figure out like a go retrieve XYZ and whatnot. So you're done with this story. I am done with the story. How was that like to have completed it mentally? Because this is your second kind of group series that you've finished, correct?
1: Yes, yes. My my second duology. I don't, for some reason, I keep writing duologies. Um, it felt really good. I mean, Midnight Thief, you know, I kind of very much followed the uh, European fantasy. I kind of followed a lot of those old tropes. You know, that was my first novel, and I was kind of finding my legs as a writer. And then with Rosemarked, I feel like this time I really got a chance to make it really my own, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, just my, my own world building, my own, um, and my own ideas for what a book should be. And so, yeah, it felt really good to wrap this one up.
0: What are you working on now? Ah, uh, now I've kind of, I've got a
1: lot of different projects going on. So, um, I am switching gears a little bit. I'm writing a middle grade historical with a touch of fantasy. That one, don't want to share too much about that, but it's, it's an own voices, one kind of based kind of on my family history oh cool yeah so that one man historical fiction is like kicking my butt I really miss those days that this is why I wrote fantasy is because I could just make stuff up but I didn't have to do research and I was like spending <laughs> all the time at the library <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: well you know like you said there's a bit of magic so I guess at the end if you really need to make things fit you could I mean that,
1: that's true that's
0: true while we're on the writing topic it is NaNoWriMo this month is oh, yeah. National mm-hmm. Novel Writing Month. Are you a nanoer? I am
1: not a nanoer. I attempted once and I got so st- stressed out by the, by the fast output <laughs> that I stopped after maybe seven days and started outlining instead. And actually, that NaNoWriMo project ended up as a 10,000 word novella. Oh. which is published. It's Poison Nance, The People Do Midnight Thief. So I guess that kind of worked, but it was like national novella writing.
0: <laughs> like one week of a month, basically. You got your 10,000 words in. Do you have any, I guess, writing tips for people who are I have a lot of writers who listen mm-hmm. to this, book people or tend to be writer people too. Um just like anything about process or things that you've that you found have worked for you, especially now that you said you have a you had to you had to crank out book two while you were dealing with yeah. an infant yeah. child, you must have found some little tricks to work around things.
1: Uh yeah. So some things that help me um well, if if we're talking about national novel writing month, if you are you know, a slower writer like me, uh, or if you just haven't been able to do NaNoWriMo, um, you could kind of change it to a national novel brainstorming month or something where, you know, instead of saying you have to write a draft, you just, you do uh, 1,600 words of you know, brainstorming or something every day. That kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. I actually do that a lot just when I'm when I'm writing myself where when I'm brainstorming, I use an audio recorder hmm. and I just talk into it about the book. And use Dragon Naturally Speaking to transcribe it, and it you know makes a total mess of things, but I can still kind of make sense of it. <laughs> so now actually, I measure my word count, uh, my brainstorming and word count as well, if I'm trying to stick to a quota. Uh, so you know, like 1,300 words of brainstorming a day or something.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good tip. I do a similar thing. I'm not really a writer. But I will. I have a lot of friends who are, and I'll do like I'm a photographer, so I'll do like 30 days of editing, or I'll do like actually this year I'm doing I'm doing nano, but I'm doing it in blo- as blog posts. So it's not like one novel. It's maybe uh. a different blog post a day or something. You know what I mean? So you're right. There are. I think it's the the idea of it is a good one in the sense it helps you get things out but yeah that's a nice way to kind of take the pressure off like you said so you don't feel like a failure because you're you that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong it's just as maybe your brain works a little differently which i i can appreciate that yeah just tailor it to your needs before we go are there any books you've read at all that you would recommend any kind of fantasy sci-fi books for our listeners I know writers often aren't readers because they're usually in the trenches, but I always like to ask because usually when someone recommends something, it's, um, you know, it's worth taking a look at.
1: I haven't been reading much fantasy lately, although I, I did read, um, a YA Contemporary that I really loved, uh, which is, *A uh, Picture Us in the Light by Kelly Lloyd Gilbert. And that one is, I, I can't even describe what it's all about because there, there's so much that you find out, but it's about, um, he's, uh, Asian American high schoolers in California and, um. I know, immigration and relationships <laughs> yeah, I, wow. uh, I'm not doing it justice
0: but it's really good well I mean I know I'm I'm a fantasy sci-fi person but I know a lot of readers are read across the board so I I yeah I mean if that's something you've loved and I know her stuff is great so absolutely I will definitely put that down for something to check out for sure definitely Awesome, Livia. Thank you for sitting down with me and talking about Umber Touched and Rosemarked. We kind of did broad strokes for the whole uh, duology, just for those listening who could, who haven't read them can still kind of appreciate the, the, the general ideas of the story. But um, I'm just grateful that you were willing to talk to me about this. Yeah, this was fun. I, I really appreciate how you kind of went deep into the story. And- that's what it's why it's fun for me to do this. I mean, if I'm gonna get an author on the on the phone, on the Skype, it's you know, I wanna I wanna pick your brain. I wanna understand the, the story and, and especially when it's a story that engrosses me. And I literally did not put this book down all day. I read it all day. It was great. Thank you. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ink Feather Podcast. And this is Lauren and Livia signing out. Bye.
1: Bye.